You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast series and syndicating for the A-List Online. My name's Andrew Mackay-Smith and what follows is a conversation between myself and Matt Marotti from The Outfit from Adelaide, As I Destruct. The reason for the conversation is to promote As I Destruct's brand new album for 2018, The Stellar, A Question of Faith. Let's have a listen to what Matt has to say. Here we go. I can, mate. Yeah, it's very good quality sound, that one there. Yeah, cheers, man. I just got a uh, system here going on. So uh, with the uh, ZX, uh, whatever, FX50 thing, whatever it is. So um, yeah, I just got to invest it into it and uh, it was all right for us. Yeah. Well, fantastic. Yeah, because what I do is I record these things from my podcast series, but I'm so used to speaking to people on mobile phones and God knows however else, even landlines. Uh, it's surprising that people still have them, but occasionally they get they get offered. But uh, mate, this is going to make for a good episode. Uh, with regards to the sound quality, so thank you. It's great. Hey, yeah, you're welcome, dude. Nah, it's all good. Yeah, I mean, I uh, I got a podcast with my brother just doing some metal stuff, and uh, it's just you know these things aren't that expensive, and it, like I said, ah. it makes a difference, doesn't it? So it's good. Yeah, I use a Rhodey podcaster microphone, and I use something called it's called Skype Call Recorder. That's what it's called. That's the technical term for it, and it's only failed me. Once, when I was speaking to Azza from Frankenbock a couple of years back, but apart from that, it's been going really well, like in terms of the setup I've got here, and of course, I've, I stick with the Model T Ford of of uh, software applications, which is um, recording software applications, which is Audacity. I haven't graduated to Reaper or anything else like that yet, because I can drive Audacity in my, with my eyes closed. Yeah, yeah, I love Audacity. It's like the most simplest version of just recording. I love it. Isn't it great? It's just so robust. It just works. It just works, and you can have as many tracks there as your uh, hard, your storage can and your RAM can handle. And I've got a uh, a MacBook Air, and I have everything stored off the drive these days because the bloody thing only has ninety gig of hard drive storage. So once yeah. I discovered that, uh, it was happy days. But yeah, I, I, there was a period of time there where I had to take everything off it out of that stupid iCloud because it took too long to back up. So That's what I, right. Yeah, oh, it's a terrible setup that Apple have got. I, I don't know what the hell they were thinking and. Because we do quite a lot of travelling into the Philippines and parts of Asia where you don't have internet coverage, it's effectively useless. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I think that's the assumption, isn't it, from Apple that yeah, internet's everywhere. Like this will work. Like don't you, you know? But yeah, go on. Yeah. Oh, if you if you're working with people in Western countries, sure. But if as soon as you go into literally anywhere else in the globe, it's not the case, and you just take Wi-Fi wherever you can get it, and then it's. 200 kilobit upload or something like that it's not even anywhere near a mega or anything like that so you're there for hours and you end up you've done it no doubt you go into a bar because you've uploaded things and then you have a couple of cocktails or whatever you're slightly sloshed by the end of it and you've only got two or three things done out of the 10 or 20 things you had to do yeah it's a yeah (laughs) it's a shocker but mate I, i gotta tell you i really enjoy this album and i was really unexpected that it came through from uh firestarter because there's only one other you know, when I say heavy metal band, work with me here when I say that. I just call all hard rock and stuff heavy metal. I know you guys have a uh, have a have a thrash groove thing going on, and actually a Swedeth thing. That's another thing I want to compliment you on because you're one of the first Australian bands I've heard that really nailed the Swedeth and modern yeah. extreme metal sound. Amazing! Thank you very much for that. I mean, there's like bands that I have a very strong affection for, and one of the biggest bands is that Moore's Prince of Mess band from I think they're from Finland or something, and. Sure. Uh, yeah, if you want mellow death metal, I mean that band is just phenomenal, and uh, there is some of that like scattered through the album. And uh, 
Oh yeah, good. I mean, like everything, everyone, I think to a point has to like listen to In Flames or Soilwork at least once, and mm. that does have a place in it too. But uh, definitely that and hypocrisy. Ah, oh, I just love that stuff, man. It's good stuff. Yeah, actually, I've had a good conversation with Peter from Hypocrisy. He's a damn good guy as well. I love oh. his production. Yeah, uh, yeah. seems super, like super cool, doesn't he? Right. He's just a rad dude. He's sort of dude because I'm a big Celtic Frost fan, so I was able to talk to him about the work that he did with. Thomas Gabriel Fisher on Monotheist, which came out in 2006, the last ever studio release from Celtic Frost. Of course, it can't happen anymore because Martin Eri Kane passed away last year. So I, I had 20 minutes or so to talk to him about the tour that he was doing with Payne, but I ended up turning it into a conversation with him about his work with Celtic Frost and a few other things that he was doing because he's recorded Immortal as well. He's just right. He's just a really good guy, and what I love about talking to these guys that are in the spotlight you find that you've been a metal fan a long time. There's no doubt you da- you have been and I have been. And you end up having similar opinions. Like we both thought Metallica sucked and they basically <laughs> sound like a bad demo these days. I don't know what the hell is going on there, but I just wish they would fuck off, to be honest with you. Um, I'm sorry. I know you might have a different opinion, but I'm just I'm, I'm done. You know, it's just I've gotten to a point now where I was talking to a really lovely lass um, from Burning Witches. They're a band from Switzerland. One of the third, the third metal band from Switzerland I've heard of, behind Coroner and Celtic Frost, mm-hmm. and uh, I made the point of I looked at this download lineup, and it it's so backward looking in terms of the headliners. I really yes. appreciate that Behemoth are there, but Aussie Slayer and bloody Judas Priest, give me a break. Oh, yeah, it smells a little bit of Soundwave, doesn't it? Right, like before that, like when that was the kind of declining. It was a interesting lineup, wasn't it? Yeah, agreed, agreed. Yeah, I, I just feel that. I looked at some of the bands that were on the Good Times Festival, for example, Amur, who I'm a massive fan or big supporter yeah. of the work that Josh, Josh Travis is doing, and Frankie yeah. too, but love Josh Travis's guitar playing. I think he's the best emerging guitarist around at the moment in terms of new sounds and things okay. that he's bringing, and uh, they should have been on that lineup. I mean, they, who knows how these things get booked, but uh, it's, it's a decent lineup after the headliners, and I, I saw Ozzy back in 2008, and I don't want anybody to give me any shit about this, because obviously I'm going to be releasing this into the broader sphere, but... He wasn't. Aussie was a full beat behind the rest of the band back in 2008. And the videos that I've seen of him lately, they're as bad as the ones of Paul Stanley. Yeah, he's. Yeah, I saw him do the last tour with Black Sabbath. And yeah, he's struggling, man. Like, he's. I mean, he's obviously can't hit those notes. But you're like you said, he's not remembering certain lines and he's behind. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of things. Even being on stage, he gets lost if he. Like goes too far away from the mic, he doesn't feel right at home anymore, and it's it's weird to see. Yeah, I, I remember seeing it and just being like, nah, it's yeah, it's, this is like the last ever tour for sure because I don't think mentally he has the capacity to no. to be on, you know. And, and I, I mentioned Paul Stanley there too, and what I meant by that is he's obviously he's on point in terms of his cadence and where he is at the beat, but his voice isn't there now. Yeah, my brother said the same thing. He saw him live too, and he's a bit of a singer himself. And yeah, it's it's yeah, you're right. It's just gone. Yeah, I, look, I, I I'll go on record as saying I, I didn't grow up with Kiss. I got into them in the late '90s or so. Whenever the Second Coming happened in 1996 or '97, whenever that was, when they had um, Peter, Chris, and Ace come back into the band, and they did yep. their uh, world tours back then. And I really I got into them then. I think I bought oh, I can't remember Love Gun. I bought Love Gun. That's right. And uh, ended up getting it. I saw it for what it was, which was a garage band come good. Yeah, um, and and I really and I, I was working. I was being a band with some older guys then who were big fans of Crew and Rat and White Line. That was really I love that stuff too. By the way, White Line in particular, Vito Brad is just such an incredible guitarist. God bless him wherever yeah. he is now. But uh, 
but yeah, it just you know the Paul Stanley thing. They're all these legacy acts, and I've 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 heard some of Rob's stuff recently too, man. It's not that crap. Rob Halford, I'm talking about. It's not that yeah. crash shot either. Yeah, no, fair enough, man. Some of his facetto is starting to like kind of fall off, and uh, there is teasing of the uh, album with him and uh, the guys from Behemoth and even Ishan from Emperor. Apparently, there's been that, but mm. that's been teased since 2006. So you know, yeah, whatever. Mm. Mate, we better talk about your album because I ha- I ha- I do enjoy it. I genuinely mean that. So, a question of faith is the name of that, and I'm going to issue what I feel is a really big compliment. So, oh, I've, I've already mentioned the sweet death and the modern extreme metal comparisons there, but to my ears, it's the album that if Matt Heafy had his head screwed on, would have released after he released the excellent album Shogun in 2008, because I really haven't dug the stuff that they've released since then. Really think right. that they've some, I don't know what's going on there with the songwriting, but they've, they've become a bit of a metal by numbers band, but they had the crusade in 2006 and then Shogun in 2008. And I thought they were going to take the world by storm. And then they ended up bloody supporting disturbed on a tour down here a couple of years after that. It was a really weird thing to see happen. But yeah. your music sounds like it could be a natural successor to the work that he was doing on uh, Shogun. So that's that's what I have to say about it. But what do you have to say about the album? A question well, that's, that's, that's a massive compliment. I mean, like, you, that's when two of him hit out, hit the, like, for us growing up, you know, that was a band that everyone was kind of, like, looking at to be the next Metallica of Jaysaya, even though Heafy would say he... Agreed. Yeah. Really respected by that. Now, whatever happened to that, I'm not sure. But about the band, um, the, yeah, the interest was definitely to write something that um, it was kind of like not paying homage to my favorite bands, but really just using their influences and kind of just standing on the shoulders of giants and using that inspiration to go at and then create music that um, had a certain amount of sadness, but also anger as well. And this album, I really wanted to just kind of have all of those tracks represent like a feeling, but also across a broad spectrum so if i were to ever go heavier in the future fans would be like well they've got certain death metal tracks so that's not a unfamiliar and if he goes a little bit lighter then they're going to be like well they've got those tracks as well Smart move yeah yeah i wanted to give myself that but i always be with as i destructor a, a death metal band in a spirit like that kind of junction is it's to be very heavy and uh, that's my goal but to use like bands like hypocrisy or like moors or soil works and inflames um, even though in flames these days are nothing like the metal band. Then. Yeah, what happened there? <laughs> well, you know, um, a lot of people for them it died when they went alternative, and then for a lot of other people it died when they went into that whole just non-metal thing when they were started doing like battles and that kind of stuff, and they just abandoned that yeah real darkness to them. Um, but yeah, like for me, I still love that stuff when they dropped into B flat. Um, hmm. It's really cool stuff, and that's what I wanted the album to represent. It's just that kind of tr- like that's almost the traditional mellow death style, but bringing in elements from the modern style as well. And and bands like the American scene, like your Nevermores as well, because it's just there's such amazing guitarists and such an amazing composers, and I wanted to incorporate as much as I could of that into this melting pot and hopefully it works. I hope the, the fans really get into it and buy it and, uh, and support it. And, uh, yeah, it'd be, it'd mean the world to me. So that's, that's, that was the goal of the album. So I guess if that helps answer the question. Oh, it does. Yeah. Oh, it's a very succinct answer actually. Yeah. It, it is a wonderful album and it's an album that does have, this is, a, I've had a lot of interviews on tonight, but it's the second time I'm going to use this word. It has a lot of applications, meaning to your exact point, you have thought about the songwriting narrative. You've really thought about that, and it's not about being all things to all people, but you've given yourselves options, 
And that's a really smart thing to do because it doesn't paint yourselves into a corner. And therefore, when the next album does come out, whatever that might sound like, wherever it goes, nobody can say that it's not a natural evolution from where you're currently at right now. Right, that's right, yeah. And there are bands like Nails, for instance, who can do that thing so unbelievably well and so succinctly. And for that, I'll give them nothing but praise. Um, For my natural ear and my natural writing, however, I felt it more organic to just kind of go different ways with different songs and and to see how it worked. And the boys that I worked with, I would show them the riffs and the songs, and generally they were very positive and receptive to those ideas, even though being polarizing. Um, So it was good. It was good fun, and uh, it worked out well. Okay. Now, I could have this completely wrong, so tell me if I do otherwise, but did Dirk Verburen from Megadeth perform on this album? Yeah. Now, the truth around this was he actually at the time was in soil work. So he was doing just session music off the top of his time. Now, as luck would happen, as soon as the album was recorded with our boys around that time, we had it sent to another guy. It didn't quite work out. He then, at the time, Dirk would go ahead and join Megadeth and then would have to re-record the album with his drum tracks. So we ended up recording this album twice. By pure coincidence, he's in Megadeth now, and we have the Megadeth drummer on our record. But it was just going to be a guy from Soilwork, which, again, would have been just just as amazing. Um, but, yeah, we do have Dirk from Soilwork, then Slash, Megadeth now in, in this album. So that was pretty cool. That's a pretty bloody good thing to have on the resume, regardless. <laughs> I mean, having the Soilwork guy who was picked up by Dave Mustaine, because Dave Mustaine does not fuck around. No. He, he went from having probably the best drummer in modern heavy metal in my view uh, well not best I don't like saying you know stupid but one of one of the a very very good drummer in Chris Adler come through and I, I'd, I'd love to know what the hell happened there by the way uh, because I understand that I think Chris I don't want to misquote here I understand he was keen to stay on but something might have happened there that's what I only, I only know that from listening to Jamie Jaster's podcasts regularly um, I'd love to know what happened there that allowed it to open up for Dirk. But what a wonderful opportunity for you guys! And I, 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 is it is it is it tempting to sort of uh, you know how you used to buy those albums back in the day, the, the CDs I'm talking about, and they have a sticker on it saying featuring this member from this band. Is it tempting yeah. to lead with that? Because I didn't want to do that. I just wanted to ask you a question about it and then sort of move on. But do, is it tempting to to lead with something like that? Because it's a hell of a thing to say about. The album really isn't it? It's a wonderful attribute, as I'm talking about. Yeah, to to be honest, I mean, to be authentic with you, really, a part of me obviously says, yeah. I mean, for the the exposure for the band, yeah, it'd be great to just lead off with you know Dirks in this band and whatever. But the music musician side of me really calls out to be like, nah, I'd rather fans hear it for what it is and determine whether this music and the songs are great on their own accord. And that that drummer, because we have a new drummer called uh, Tony Cuda, and his He's being able to play his stuff just as good, if not at times, uh, even with his own take. Um, so it's really, really, really lucky to have him on board to to do this album with us. So it's a matter of seeing what, how that happens and seeing how the fans respond to the songs themselves. But I'm sure, of course, we have to let people know that Dirk's on the album because uh, fans of Dirk would want to hear as much of this stuff as possible too. So we are lucky, and Dirk's been very amazing with us too. Uh, every time we talk to him about it and, uh, you know, going to and through for the uh, songs very easy to work with a, com- a complete gentleman and just mm. just amazing to have him on board i don't think it'd be easy uh working with dave mustaine to be quite frank so he must be fairly laid back 
Yeah, he is. And it really was as simple as he, he didn't care if he had any ideas he wanted to change and whatever. But when you give Dirk songs, and even though we gave him some ideas, like with myself personally, each song had what I heard drums on it. He may use it, he may not. He's just so receptive to, to criticism and to have anything on board, but we didn't really have to give any of them at all. He just gave us an amazing job and we took it off him and said, thank you very much for your time. And uh, the rest was history, really. Hmm. So it sort of leads into my, my next question because uh, of, this is, again, the second time I've had this conversation tonight um, in that it, it's so hard to stand out on social media, isn't it? And really, because you've got a really good bloody release here, man. Fantastic release. But how do you stand out, given there are so many metal artists in the marketplace and uh, of varying quality, let's face it, but not you guys. It's, it's all there and you're attracting wonderful membership to, to complete the recording. But what can you do to lift the profile of the band and indeed a release like this? Look, that's something that me and the boys have been debating and pulling our hair about and stomping our foots about since forever. You know, we've got very passionate guys in the band. And, you know, it seems like... It's almost not up to us to a degree because it feels like the, the fans and the social media now is its own kind of machine and they mm. will kind of dictate to us who's kind of on top and who's not. We can do our best though. We're gonna, we've got a uh, film clip coming up very soon for uh, one of the tracks off the album. So that's going to help push the album. The album comes out in a couple of days from what we're talking and we're doing a tour to support it. So we're hoping all these things in conjunction with each other will give this buzz and this excitement to what we're trying to do here and really is trying to give it an honest go. I mean, the dream is to obviously make it to Europe, to, to Asia and to for there. But even in Australia, we really want to make a statement here too to show you know, all the people out there that uh, we're really trying hard to get something on board here and to bring back that excitement in ourselves for the band and mm-hmm. see what works, I guess. But it's, to answer your question about the excitement on social media, you know, we're still trying to figure it out for ourselves. You know, um, we're not sure yet. We're just doing all the tropes like, you know, trying to get us playing songs and all that kind of stuff and doing the artwork that we work with Barul from Abomination Imagery and trying to showcase mm-hmm. his work along with our songs. Let's let's hope let's hope, man. I, I have no idea. So if you've got some ideas, you, you just chuck them at me. And <laughs> oh, brother, I'm lost. I got no. I got none. And I don't think I don't think anybody does. I don't think anybody can guarantee. I see these ads out there, by the way, and they're there. And I think they're 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 shamans where they say you do this, you'll get a guaranteed extra thousand followers that are real people rather than bots. And I I don't know how you can guarantee that. I simply don't know how you can do that. I understand that there are marketing organisations out there these days that will get people to direct message people to follow the yeah. band and why they might like it and share a track. It's very labor-intensive, but I suppose there's people out there that are prepared to do that. But I don't even trust Facebook and Twitter's algorithms. So yeah. even even yeah. though you, you do pay the money, I don't even trust that it reaches the amount of people that it says because you've got no guarantee. Yeah, that's right. You've got no way of knowing. It's just a number on the screen. Um, so you're right. I mean, hilariously enough, by talking about this, I got uh, followed by Marty Freeman on Instagram. And nice. I was showing my friends, like, <laughs> what have I got that Marty Freeman needs? Like, dude, it happened to me last week. He's going to delete him you off of your Facebook. But then you'll follow him. So it's this kind of like trickery or something. And I'm like, oh, for a minute, you know. Um, all right. Okay. It all worked it out. So maybe that's another thing that people are trying to do just to stand out is to, to, to friend them and stuff. So who knows? It could just be. Or maybe Marty Freeman really wants to hear me shred on a couple of the tracks. 
Ah, who knows? <laughs> Look, I have heard, I've never met Marty, but I was speaking to um, the fellow from the Indian band. Uh, they're based in India, um, Sky Harbour. Great bloke. They're a bit like okay. um, Caligula's Horse. And Marty did some work on one of their earlier albums, and he said he was a fantastic bloke. And I'd heard it, for, uh, you know, second and third hand um, from other people as well. So there's with with a bloke like Marty... Uh, it would not surprise me at all that he's heard of your music and your band and he has actually per- purposefully followed you rather than it being somebody who's that, looking after his account. That's true, And that, that's why I was in denial a little bit. Like maybe the, my friends are just like, nah, it's it's not that Marty Freeman. And I'm just in complete <laughs> denial because this band, like this music actually took off and it hit someone with such a high profile straight away. And I'm just not ready fucking my brain can process that yet, you know? Yeah. It's only um, like, you know, a couple of days into its into infancy stage really. But uh, hey, if it's true... You know, dude, I'll retract everything I said about it, and I'll yeah, I'll be flying the the flight with um, Friedman for sure. Well, I had I had a, I, I I'm on Instagram too, but just I've got I've got the the podcast stuff on there too. But my personal one uh, is just in a nothing name, you know. Effectively, it's not in my name or anything like that. It's just as I can follow a few friends out there and we share pictures of our kids with each other. But Jimmy oh. Barnes followed me, like the real Jimmy Barnes, and I'm like. That must be a bot or something, but it was yeah. him. But that definitely wouldn't have been him because I don't know him and it's not a music account. It's just a standard person account. But there must be people out there that control these uh, celebrities of varying stature. They must control their social media accounts. And the way that they garner followers is by following a whole bunch of people in the anticipation that you'll follow them back. That's what I'm getting a feeling too. But, you know, it's, it's the way it is, I guess. Yeah, see how we go. Mm-hmm. So, Adelaide, you're actually the first musician after almost... I've done well over 300 interviews at this point. You're actually wow. the first musician from Adelaide that I've spoken to. I'm talking about a musician in Adelaide. I've probably spoken to musicians from Adelaide that are elsewhere, but I'm talking about yeah. someone who's wearing um, the Adelaide jersey, so to speak. So, what's the metal scene like there, mate? And what's the music scene like by extension there? Is there, is there a lot of opportunities for you to play? And does it foster a healthy heavy metal scene in your view? The interesting point now, I've talked to you guys that I feel are doing quite a service to Adelaide Metal, keeping it alive and doing a lot. And I think one guy particularly is Jason North. He does do things like New Dead Festival and Heavy SA, and he works in conjunction with certain things like Army, which is like a heavy metal school. Oh, yeah, I've heard of that, yeah. They do quite well. So they really are heart, like just kind of helping the, the young guys kind of come through the ranks and bring them through it. And they deserve a lot of credit. The scene, Adelaide, though, and I think one thing that they will attest to it is that we're very laid back with buying tickets and supporting medals. So if we, we don't do anything until the very last minute, and that makes people very nervous, like certain, you know, runners or managers and you know, all those guys who kind of run these gigs. So it has scared a few people away, and a lot of bands now are bypassing it. So not seeing some of these juggernauts come to our state, I think, has an effect. I think certain... Uh, younger guys maybe just don't get the chance of seeing some of this in its flight and the professionalism and the production that comes with these bigger bands maybe it disenfranchises the next level i'm not sure but um there is still a lot of fight and a lot of heart and you know to a good gig we can get you know anywhere from 600 people upwards um but it is it is a little tricky in adelaide we are a little little laid back and maybe a little too laid back at times and Mm. uh who who knows what the future is going to hold? Um, but I really hope that we're kind of finding it again because in the eighties apparently it was massive and it did kind of drop towards the nineties and today. But we'll see what happens. Well, some fantastic bands like Cold Chisel have come from Adelaide. People forget that I think that it's a real rock and roll city. Well, certainly it's got the heritage of being a rock and roll city. 
So yeah. it's um yeah, it's it's a cultural phenomenon. It's certainly not the first time that I've heard that there is a bit of a last minute culture there and uh as a consequence because bands and also agents and touring companies rely on pre sales. They re- right. they rely on them. So if they don't if they get nervous because there's uh, not a guarantee through pre sales of having an attendance, they simply won't book the city the next time a band comes through through Australia. That's true. Yeah, and it's not just metal in Adelaide too. There are a few other things. There was things on the internet, like on the uh, not, not sure if it's advertiser or something, but uh, about other industries as well where Adelaide does this too. So it does hurt the bottom line across the whole board with the arts thing. You know, I'm sure in Melbourne though, I hear it's just complete opposite where everyone's just craving for it and really support it hey this is a le- totally left field question but because you're from adelaide i've always been curious and wanted to ask this of somebody who lives there but has the decline and the extinction effectively of the auto manufacturing industry has that had an effect on the psyche of adelaide do you think uh well it's interesting because um that's a really tough one to really answer because i don't know it just kind of seems like it did drop off a bit but I've never actually had the 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 forthright to actually think about how it does affect us, to be honest, because uh, it's a little bit north of where I am, um, so I don't mm. actually know too many people that are personally affected by it. Um, sure. Yep. Where that what happened to it? As far as it was done for this uh, culture, well, I think because um, I work in like a retail industry, that's not doing too bad at all. So there's still jobs and that and, and opportunities. But for the metal scene, it's interesting. I I'd never actually thought about how it would. Rip- uh, be received in that uh, like correlation. So I'm not. I couldn't answer that to be honest. Yeah, that's a really tricky question to answer. Yeah, I guess it's just there, there being manual labour jobs and metal being a, a working yeah. class genre of music because that's really what it what its, its origins were anyway. Um, yeah, I, I guess it it was just one of those things where I thought it might have had some sort of a correlation because uh, yeah, Adelaide did have a thriving music scene. I'm certainly not saying it's because of the not joining the dot. Because I don't have any evidence, okay. That's why I thought I'd ask the question that due to the decline of the auto industry, it affected the music industry. But uh, yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, it's 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 certainly affected the state's coffers. We know that. You know, I mean, the bloody Holden Commodore, Australia's iconic vehicle, along with the Falcon, was built there for thirty-five years or whatever it was. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So to just upend like it was, and for there to be no replacement, there's a lot of people that are trying to find jobs in other segments of the uh, industry. Yeah, that's true. I, I'm, I've never actually come to think about it, but now that you've asked me, I'm probably going to um, have to go around now and kind of just plant that seed and see what comes <laughs> out of it. It's actually really interesting. I Yeah, never actually come to think of it too. I'll get back on track with the music. So you are a, 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 you're, you are a very good guitarist based on what I've heard on the album here, A Question of Faith. So what inspired you as a guitarist to pick it up? Was it the Randy Rhodes, J.K. Lee thing or was it something a bit heavier? Basically, it was by a pure fluke. Back in the day, I was at school and my uncle said, look, I'm not going to be able to get you a present for a long time. And at the time, he was living with mum because he was in between whatever was happening with himself. So he goes, look, Matt, I'm going to buy you a guitar because there was this musical influence in our family. But he bought me an acoustic guitar. So I had to learn this big thing. I was only like 15. No, I was way younger than that. I was probably like in my early teens at the time. And this thing was massive. So I got onto it and then I dropped it because it was just too hard to play and it wasn't really an extension of what I wanted to do. And eventually I ran into my cousin. He had this cool SG copy, so I ended up stealing that off him a lot. And before you knew it, I would end up buying my own electric guitar. Um, the thing was, though, my dad was always a massive metal fan. He had all the Rainbow Records, Black Sabbath, Deep Purple, Rainbow. Right? 
Yeah, I know, right? Richie Blackmore, like he was kind of like the god, and every time you know we bring it up, it'd just be like, yeah, we get all excited about it. So that would be the kind of start for me, and then from there, I'd go ahead and find um, myself going back into metal in my uh, mid teenage years, uh, listening to bands like Opeth, Pantera. Metallica was a bit of a bridgeway, but didn't last very long. And then I went on to, from there, it just went crazy. Nevermore. When I heard Nevermore, it changed my life forever, though. When I heard The mm. Godless Endeavor when it first came out, um, I'll then go ahead and just try to find as much metal as possible because I'm like, this is what I've been searching for for forever. That riff and that combination of magistry between soloing and tight ass grooves and just this amazing presence on the record. And from there, it just took off. I had a really good conversation with Ronnie Romero, who's Richie Singer in the new version of Rainbow, not that yeah. long ago. Uh, yeah. He's in Spain. He's from. He's a Chilean national, but he's living in Spain. And uh, yeah, he went real deep with me because I love Richie's playing. I listen to Rising quite a bit. Um, yes, I, Cozy Powell's drumming. I think he's just the greatest drummer. I, I could listen to his drumming isolated alone. Yeah. Um, and uh, I've had a few conversations with Bob Daisley, who was the Australian who wrote a lot of Ozzy Osbourne songs, uncredited, yep. of course, but credited yep, sometimes. But right, yeah. What, what does he do? What kind of songs did he write? Most, most of them uh, through oh. the eighties. It turned out certainly all of the lyrics and a hell of a lot of the music. But because of the arrangement uh, that Ozzy has with musicians, Ozzy gets credit, and the musicians they either don't see much money or. Yeah, yeah, he actually tried to fight it through the courts. It's a pretty shitty story, all things considered. Uh, it's probably put me off, Aussie. I've got to tell you all together. How much, how much did you think it was him or, or Sharon? I just kind of feel like she's just kind of pulling the strings a bit because I think Aussie's just too out of it sometimes, like with his. Well, he's got to. Yeah, I initially thought blame Sharon, but Aussie's got to know what's going on, otherwise he's willfully negligent. And that's the same yeah. thing. So he, yeah. he'd be knowing. And I've spoken to Zach Wilde too, but I didn't ask him about that. I did talk about what relationship he had with Bob and he had all the time in the world for Bob. And he said it's a real shame that wow. he and Ozzy, Bob and Ozzy, um, have had this falling out. But you can fucking understand it because it's a guy's bread, man. It's his money. And yep. those lyrics on those first two iconic albums, Diary of a Madman and Blizzard of Oz, they're Bob's lyrics, man. They're not Ozzy's. Ozzy doesn't write lyrics. And the music... Even though everybody thinks it was Randy, that's Bob. Wow, that's interesting. Cool, yeah. cool. And yeah. and and it's it's well, it's a collaboration. Okay, so I shouldn't say it's all Bob, but it's a collaboration between Bob Lee Kerslake and Randy, and that that will never happen again. And those three, those two albums I listened to to death. By the way, I still love <laughs> Little Dolls, the track Fresh. on um, Diary of a Madman. But I also really love the stuff that Bob did with J.K. Lee on A Bark at the Moon and uh, The Ultimate Sin, even though uh, Bob wasn't on The Ultimate Sin, as in recording, Phil Susan came in for that. He still wrote a lot of the music um, and also the lyrics. Okay. So he was right there through the 80s, but there's some really good... I'll talk about Rainbow for a sec because there's some really good videos online of Ronnie, Ronnie James Dio, of course, fronting Rainbow in the mid to late 70s. And Bob singing behind him. I didn't know Bob had such a great singing voice. But there's oh, wow. Cozy up the back there, you know, that massive rainbow, you know, that electronic rainbow that they had above <laughs> them that would have cost a fortune to carry around with them. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just beautiful music, man, to listen to. It just, God, if I have a couple of bevies, man, you know what to reach for. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's, it's just it's that perfect reach of nostalgia, but it's not like with your t- roasting to the glasses. It's just like doesn't age that stuff. I listen to it now and just like the amount of motion that pours out. I mean, that Stargazer track, for instance. I mean, oh, even God, everything yeah. down to the exact solo so- storytelling, and it tells its like woven piece of magistry so well. And it's just, yeah, it's, it's just frustrating at times because I'm like, that is just like the next level shit. But again, I just, I got so much time and effort for that kind of stuff. It's great. Oh, I think I think Richie Blackmore's the greatest heavy metal guitar innovator of all time. I know people go on about Tony Iommi. I told, I get all of that. I understand all of that. But Richie has been overlooked as a heavy metal innovator. He's sort of looked at as a bit of an eccentric because of his interest in the occult and what he did yeah. at Blackmore's Night, and he went into medieval music. But his yeah. guitar playing for mine, especially recently, the stuff he's doing with um, Ronnie Romero. Ronnie's a wonderful singer, mate, by the way. He's really picked well, Yeah, uh, Richie, there. But... I'd love to see them down here, and and the stuff that Ronnie was telling me was it's interesting talking to a guy in the band, and you establish rapport, and after sort of ten fifteen minutes or so, they can tell you you're not you're not trying to dig for any dirt and trying to ask you know what colour undies he wears or any stupid questions yeah. like that. But talk to me about this rhythm section he's got, for example, because they're they're from Blackmore's Night, the drummer mm-hmm. and bass player, and and I thought oh god because they don't look the part. Let me tell you, but he assured me that they're the real deal and they're wonderful musicians and they are absolutely contributing to the legacy of Rainbow by the work that they're doing. And it's come from the guy that's in the band, so you've got to take it. Yeah, and- definitely. Actually, me and my brothers went to go to Birmingham to see the reunion gig because we were so, like, oh, I'm unbelievable, oh, like, this what? is the moment. Really? So we threw down money and went to go to Birmingham, completely outside of the world, uh, massive flights, but it was totally worth it, man. Like, the amount of just... I mean, hearing him sing live, uh, it was, was, yeah, it was like, dude, that's like Dio. Like, and it's just amazing. It was an amazing performance. The Big Rainbow was there as well doing its thing. Oh, man. And the only criticism I'll give is there was a lot of Deep Purple songs because it was really the Richie Blackmore night. They said Richie Blackmore was Rainbow, but that wasn't completely true. It was a Richie Blackmore experience. So you got a lot of Deep Purple. Oh, is that right? Okay. Yeah. It's just fun. Like, you know, you expect it. But I was like, oh, man, I was really going to hear, you know, certain for certain tracks. But uh, nevertheless, you know, I wasn't disappointed that night, I can tell you. That's really impressive. Yeah, I wish I'd seen it. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I wouldn't have thought to go over there because I've got young kids these days and it's very hard for me to... Uh, I was at the time I was working for Telstra and I was working bloody big hours and playing music on the weekends. It was... Um burning the candle at both ends, literally, and uh, I couldn't have done anything. In the, I've only just gotten out of all of that. Now I'm at uni full-time studying, so I've bit more, got a bit more time back. Um, but, yeah, that's really that's really awesome that you're able to go over there and see it because I, I don't know whether he's going to get the opportunity to come over here. I, I have no doubt he deservedly probably asked for a lot of money to perform, and I don't know whether a promoter or a touring agent would actually put up that kind of money to bring him over here. Yeah, you're getting for a certain taste and a certain vibe, I guess, as well. So that would be risky, but I'm sure Melbourne and Sydney can hold them for one night and have some sort of beautiful theatre so that it gets the sound production it really deserves as well. But who yeah, knows? I wonder what he's thinking not playing a lot of the Rainbow tracks because, I, to be frank with you, man, I, I, I like Deep Purple, but they're nothing like what I feel toward Rainbow. Yeah, that's right. Um, I didn't know. That was a little strange. I mean, I get it because I think Richie Blackmore just wanted a reason to play metal again. And I think that he really wants to play those Deep Purple songs and the mm-hmm. band was never going to argue with him. So I don't know. I felt like that was kind of his thing. He wanted to do his his thing, his songs. Uh, but under the Rainbow moniker, I think Deep Purple still going around. So I don't think he could call it that or anything. So mm. that's, that's, that's only my pure speculation, however. 
Mm, yeah, okay. No, that's fair enough. Well, it's 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 an informed opinion, and uh, yeah, it's just it's fantastic. You're able to go and see them. I'm only watching the videos online and YouTube, and uh, I really feel fortunate to be able to chat to a lot of these guys, like Ronnie as well. He was a he was a really good guy, really good, really in tune. Talked to me that you can have a listen to the the episode, but one of the things that he said to me was that. I think I think he said I won't misquote him here, but I think he said something along the lines of Richie asked me if he wanted to have some beer over dinner or whether he wanted to have some ice cream later on. And Ronnie Romero is a big fan of ice cream, as it turned out Richie was as well, and he thought that might have been one of Richie's tests um, oh. for him. So all the nuances that you get about the guy, because you hear he's very eccentric. You know, reading I read about him in Lita Ford's book as well, because apparently they had a relationship through the eighties, okay. uh, according to a book there. And uh, yeah, she alludes to him having some uh, some clairvoyant insight. Okay. And, and uh, it was it was really fascinating read actually that Lita Ford book overall anyway if you've uh, if you're looking for a bit of a rock and metal bio to read there but uh, yeah Rich, Richie's a fellow that fascinates me it must be said and that's only happened in the last few years actually I wasn't was never a massive Rainbow fan I was always aware of I followed the work that Bob Daisley did because I'm a bass player and I was always a big fan of Bob but uh, Rainbow were the last frontier for me and I've finally got into them in the last couple of years and I find a lot of their material absolutely essential. Yeah, sure. Agreed. Yeah, it's it's a, kind of like the skeleton and the framework for heavy metal, and it, it's more to do with the way that they – not so much the sound now, but the way that a song's written and the passion that goes towards each sort of instrumentation and the singing and all that as well. And, yeah, the delivery and the performance is just phenomenal. And for that, on a production that I think is at the time was great too – it's the whole package, man. Yeah, and it's yeah. Uh, you're spot on. You're spot on with what you said too, mate. You're actually yeah. You get it because to me, Rainbow was the first genuine heavy metal band. See, to me, Black Sabbath still have a lot of blues in it, as mm. do what uh, Led Zeppelin do as well. But they're not really heavy metal. They're more like a big bombastic rock band. But Black Sabbath, to me, particularly the earlier material, was really just hard blues. Yeah, fair cool. Whereas the Rainbow stuff, to me, is that final jump for the first time into something which is identifiably and categorically heavy metal. Yeah, especially the classical influence as well. That cannot be understated. Like bands would then go on and the sounds, you know, throughout the history would just go on and try to emulate it or just basically steal it. And mm. it's fine because I would try to too if I was them as well because it's good <laughs> stuff. Like, you know, like I've seen before, just standing on the shoulders of giants, man. Like you can just tell how why people would be influenced by the guy just by listening to a record. Mm, indeed. All right, mate, I'll make this my last question. Now, this, uh, I hope you don't mind, actually. I know I've talked about a lot of different things here, but you're a smart guy, clearly, and you're articulate, so I thought it was uh, my conversations tend to go all over the shop in case you couldn't tell. <laughs> but, uh, but a question of faith. How can uh, – you're obviously on Facebook because I've liked your Facebook page, but where else can people listen to your music and order CDs and T-shirts through? Well, we have got our stuff on NerveGas and NerveGas.com. Uh, you can go ahead and actually search us through that as I destruct. We'll be on there with the album From Fear to Oblivion. So feel free to go that way. We are actually on the JB Hi-Fi website as well. Um, the album will be available, of course, through Spotify and iTunes, all that kind of groovy stuff as well. Facebook and Instagram are our number one thing, I think, where the guys like to use and interact with the fans the most. So if you do find As I Destruct on Facebook or on Instagram, you'll be guaranteed to talk to one of the bands as well. So they're probably the ones you want to go through as well. Sweet. All right, you heard the man, everybody listening. Get into this stuff here because it is outstanding Australian heavy metal. Long may you guys continue to do what you're doing. Really look forward to uh, hopefully catching up with you when you come up here, mate. Yeah, no, for sure. We cannot wait to uh, go all across Australia. And I really thank you for your kind words, man. It really does mean a lot. And uh, can't wait to see you guys out there too. It means a lot. Thank you so much. 
You have been listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast series and syndicating for the A-List Online. My name's Andrew Mackay-Smith, and that conversation featured Matt Marotti from the Adelaide Outfit, As I Destruct. Thanks so much for listening.